Right. I have a logistical announcement, which is next week we're not meeting because we'll be on our way to Brazil. And after that, we'll be in Brazil. And so we're meeting at decent hours for most of you, more decent hours, 8 p.m. Europe time. So this is this is your last chance to complain. <laughs> Ooh, we have to come up with a new complaint. Yeah. I don't know why. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. That's it. Is there any sharing from experiments from during the week? Any work with your attention or the things that are in the way of stealing your attention? Yes. On last Saturday during the Fear Club, we all did this process and I went through the process as I was holding space for the process of is that like regrooving, making a new groove for my fear. And I, I know also that women in the bridge house did this process and it kind of went crazy on because it's Vera's fault that it went crazy, I heard. <laughs> But anyway, I've been doing this experiment of of introducing myself with my new groove. So I, I don't really know what my old groove was, but my new groove is my fear is better when I do scary things. Your life is better. My, what is it? Your fear is better. Well, my fear also is better. <laughs> my fear feels better when I do scary things. But my life is better when I do scary things. So. Was anybody else here in that? Do they have a new groove? Yeah, the the women in the in the bridge house. Who, maybe they could uh, share their new groove too, because it's pretty empowering. Mm-hmm. Any of you guys willing to share? Gaia's willing to share your new new groove. Okay, yeah, my my new groove is that if I feel afraid, I'm more afraid to not do it than to do it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Mine is, if my fear tells me where my being wants to expand into life. So what do you do? What do you do then with it? Like what's the action? Yeah, I move, I move towards where, my, where the fear is. I move towards meeting and encountering where the fear is and the, and the action that it is, where the fear is coming from. But so, how, how do you deal with the expansion? By by being present. So if by by moving instead of being scared, like my body is here in the experience and I'm far back. By meeting it with my being, by moving close to the experience and feeling the the, the sensations and feeling what the thing that is happening, whatever it is that is happening. And when I'm really in present, feeling the sensations and whatever it is that is happening, there's no story. There's just a sensation. And if I stay there for even for a, a little bit, it, there's a, a thing that happens in intensity. And then 
it slowly it, it rolls into less intensity but or wider like something more wider instead of more peak and and then there's another there's another space in there thank you thank you somebody else Sonia Jacqueline. With an English. Hello. But the new grooves. My new groove is if I move with my fear, my life is better. Ah. So, what does moving <laughs> with your fear look like? How does Say that, that again, please. How does that show up? What does it look like? You act. Uh, What's the action? Yes. I am making myself vulnerable. I'm afraid of people knowing what are my stories and what I'm feeling in the moment. So I'm I'm moving with my fear and I'm I'm say I, I'm saying what's happening. And oh. did you say something? Yeah, I said I understand now because when you said uh when you, when you move with the fear, I didn't know what that meant. But when you say, I, I say what's happening, that's really clear what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, my new groove is my fear shows me how to live full out. And what that looks like or what I've been practicing since <clears throat> just the other day is when I have these impulses to go jump in the ocean or to go talk to people that I don't know and have dangerous conversations, I go do it. Uh, and I did it. We, we had fun experiments at the beach the other day. And I purposely was through sort of rapid learning, got to the point of intentionally not having a nice conversation with someone, uh, not to have a mean conversation, but to, to, to go, where it was scary to go. And I actually was feeling really angry because the person kept wanting to have a nice and safe conversation. And at some point I just said, this isn't working for me and I'm gonna leave. And it was great. And I also just wanna share, I'm feeling a lot of joy to see Philip here, who I've known for a long time. Who what? <laughs> I'm really glad that you're here. For a long time. Philip, can you defend yourself? Speak <laughs> your own defense somehow. You're on mute. How do you how do you mean defend myself? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to be here. I um you give people, want to say something about the people who First times we give them a chance to defend themselves. So this is it. <laughs> Go for it. Um, I'm just going to start by saying that <laughs> I am definitely feeling fear about being here and enjoy about being here. And yeah, I. In terms of like, in terms of grooves and and finding opportunities to feel fear, 
and feel my aliveness. I last night I met up with someone from college that was my housemate, that was my roommate. And I'm somebody who has struggled with an addiction for in and out of an addiction for like eight or not eight, 10 years, a decade or something. And I found myself having like maybe forcing a dangerous conversation. I don't know that it was, it felt dangerous because it felt vulnerable and dangerous because I didn't know what her reaction was going to be or not that I ever know what anyone's reaction is going to be, but this is a person who doesn't struggle the way that I've struggled with addiction. And she's also a psychoanalyst and at the risk of being psychoanalyzed by her and over and over explaining and over sharing about myself, I decided that it was right to, it felt right to open up about certain things. And sorry. Keep going. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. And yeah, I'd say that it, I walked away from the conversation. Maybe there were moments where I felt a lot of fear and there were moments where I think I was afraid of my fear, where I, I tried to act like I wasn't afraid of talking about certain things when really I was. So in the experiment of jumping to have a conversation that was like Louder. more alive, it it ended up um it ended up I ended up walking away feeling more inauthentic than authentic. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. I just know that that is something that I don't, I don't know how I, quite how I feel about it or like I haven't slowed down enough to really know what it is that I'm feeling about it, but I'm grateful to be here and just check it in. Thank you. Thank you for speaking. Thank you. Thank you for opening the door a little bit into your world. Thank you. We've just received, we've got a written message from Ingrid, and I'd like to read it out. It's about this groove, the fear groove. And Ingrid says, I feel a new groove. I mean, she feels groovy <laughs> when, that's a joke. <laughs> when I connect to my low-level fear, low-intensity fear, to my almost non-existent fear, of one or 2%, like really small. It makes me more alive. I call that joyful fear. It's clearly fear and joyful because of the increase of aliveness. Thank you, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, Christoph, Christopher, you have yes. some, I got the impression you were going to say something. No, and uh, I'm grateful to be, I feel joy, uh, seeing the aliveness and feeling the aliveness and being part of it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? You know, 
in these large groups of humanoids, the feminine humanoid population groups <laughs> from the bridge houses, the encyclopedia of bridge houses people. Like uh, you guys, you know, you don't get to hide out in a group. You know what I mean? Like you got to get it that, you know, just because somebody in your group spoke, it doesn't really count for you speaking, if you know what I mean. So <laughs> a few people in there who's in the, the light faded out from the screen, and, you know, we know you're there. We can see you guys, guys. So okay, we want to hear from a couple more of you, please. The massive overpopulation in the women's bridge house is not an excuse for uh, not speaking out. That doesn't act, you know, you represent yourselves on mass, you know, but that's, you got to also speak. So. We're going to start calling you by names. <laughs> so we know who you are. I haven't been in the fear club, but what I discovered recently about the fear, or what you could call the groove, is to have this really um, big distinction about when the random is running around with the fear, and as Ingrid said, to um, surf on the lower level of feelings in the here and now. And it's so much more alive because I can more say what I want, or I can even use my fear to say stop to give myself that possibility to to sense what's really going on. And that's just so precious to not be flooded away by huge fears, but to be on a low level of fear intensity. That's my new views. Thank you. Thank you. We're in the I also was not in the fear club, but doing fear work here, I discovered that I mix sadness and anger in it. Sadness in the lower level of fear and anger in the higher level, and I keep discovering this. Wow, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> These are words that supposed to, if you move your mouth. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm thinking of jet lag, but I but I also you know there's these effects of jet lag, but there's also this culture shift lag, where where you come into a not only a new country and a new time zone and a new hemisphere and a new climate, you come into a new culture. You have a new uh, I mean a new context like a new game world. And so there's this huge, there's this, uh, you know, each one of those has kind of a sonic boom. You know, when you, when you go through these phases, it's like a, a sonic boom, you know, when the jets fly over and it goes boom, boom, but it's like, it really shakes, shakes the world. And so it's such a valuable experience. It's a, uh, it, there's a kind of um, demand to become resilient in new ways, in new dimensions of yourself, when you pull the rug out from under your ordinary to yourself, and I'm really, I'm really uh, glad that 
the particularly the women's bridge houses here, just because you each of you is um, aging the sonic boom effect, the, the the pull out the rug effect, you know, that it builds with you're 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 facing it with a, a teamwork like oriented towards teamwork and oriented towards um, res, like attaining this building matrix for a new kind of resilience. And the new kind of resilience is a, a, a presence on the planet that's just really needed right now. And I hope that you're sharing as much as you can with as many people as you can about what you're creating over there, because it's just so, it's such a valuable, it's like a breakthrough, kind of a breakthrough thing. So please share your stuff with a lot of different people. So I'm, what I was saying was that we were in the archetypal uh, domain of relating the book that we've been studying together starts off with the ordinary domains and then the extraordinary domains. And now we're in the archetypal domains. And it's it might be strange to think that it takes until the archetypal domain to start working with paying attention to your attention and noticing what you're noticing, and noticing what you're noticing with and the common things that devour your energy by devouring your attention. So I wanted to read a few of these from the book, in page 261, section 8E. And because it will, each one of these things will give you practices. It will give you practices to take in your daily life to notice what, how you re- how you relate to how you're managing or how you're um, navigating these very real forces that are affecting us. So I'm I'm going to rent that there's a list of common things that can devour your energy. It's like, I don't know, a hundred things. I'm not going to read them all, but I'm just going to randomly pick one. That, for example, one is keeping secrets. And so common things that devour your energy keeping secrets. So, you know, we're we're born and raised in a in a modern culture where the ideal scenario is you have your own apartment basically. You're and you isolate yourself so you don't even hear your neighbors, you don't even know who your neighbors are, and you put on your makeup and your clothes or whatever, and you go out and you do some stuff here and there, and then you go back to your private space. And so our our whole life in that environment is secret. And so having a secret life, and the question is, how is that devouring your energy? Well, it takes energy to keep it secret. You have to imagine an environment where you pack, you know, 11 or 12 people into a small house, and you see each other every day and there's hardly any privacy and you eat together and you clean up together and then you do exercises together or you read or practice together. Like there's so much starting to become visible that your secrets are really difficult to keep secret anymore. And so like when I when we lived with Sonia Gonzalez, it took us a couple of weeks to figure out that she gets up in the middle of the night and eats all the leftovers out of the refrigerator so we we didn't know that what was happening. You know, we just we don't have cameras, you know, these closed circuit television things. We don't have that. But there was this track 
I, we found we found it somehow. We figured out that somebody was eating all the leftovers in the middle of the night. And so, I mean, that, you know, this is, I'm using a, a real example, but like a large example. It's a gross example. It's a large physical example of a, of a secret, of keeping a secret. But not only does keeping a secret devour your energy, having an opinion and and keeping your belief, like holding a belief or or ha- keep having an opinion devours your energy. So this thing about having an opinion, it's like in America or some some a Western country, you know, you're supposed to have opinions about politics and sports and automobile brands and you know computers and like AI. You're supposed to have an opinion about artificial intelligence. What's your opinion on artificial intelligence, you know? And if you're not politically correct, you don't have it together. If you're not, you can't lucidly explain your position on artificial intelligence, people people think that you're you're just not reading enough the, the newspapers enough, you know, the, the online information don't have, you're not connected. And so, but having an opinion or maintaining an opinion, defending an opinion inside of yourself and then hope, so you can hold it out whenever somebody says, what's your opinion? You have to pull it up right away. You know, this opinion that you're supposed to have. This takes energy. And so it's the suggestion as we go through a few of these things is consider the possibility of, of not having any secrets, for example. What would that be like not having any secrets? What would it be like? Or what would it be like not having any opinions? You know, your box, what would your box do if your box has these opinions or this viewpoints or this and a box is sharing, you know, wants to wants to have an identity based on its opinions. And you're going, you know, you know, opinion is 45, 45 for 10 cents. You know, you get it's very you can get a lot of opinions for a cheap, cheap price. There's a so what's the point? You know, so consider what would it be like not having any opinions or not any secrets or not having a belief. So, anybody have any considerations? Anybody have any dogs? <laughs> How about common things that devour your energy? Dogs. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to I'm going to go through some more avoiding well, I, I mean I had this kind of consideration of this question because Clinton and I went traveling around Bali like we we live in a place in Bali that's basically rice terrace like there's a villa and then there's just rice terraces and people and it's the rainy season so people are are basically planting rice and it's just amazing, incredible, straight, beautiful, green. Uh, and it's really this village life of that they're out there all day helping each other. It's all kind of common land, com- common rice paddies and stuff. And then we went to travel in different parts of Bali that are completely overtaken by crazy, insane, zombie, uh, capitalist, like... You know, I don't know if that's an opinion, like the bottom of the barrel, whole survivalist, like 
and and I'm and I'm there and I, I can't help think being angry. Like I'm angry, I'm scared, I'm sad. And I, and it's like, okay, well, is this an opinion? Or is this or am I you know, or am I angry? So this is what I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. The opinions, like that this is I mean you know, am I angry? Does it does it mean that I think it's bad? I'm just angry. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't like that. Which eye is that? All of them. <laughs> well, that would be the eternal being then. And so that's not an opinion. That's that's more of a truth. Whatever's real for the eternal being. It's like we know when something is destructive or destructive chaos versus creative chaos. And you're in the presence of destructive chaos. It's a cringe, or at least I feel a cringe, like something. There's no good. There's no bad, but something bad is happening. And it's like an instinct. And I don't think that's an opinion. Can it be both? Explain more. Both what? I'm just, well, I'm just wondering, like, can something be both an opinion and and a truth, like, in the core of my being and potentially in opinion land as well? I'm not sure, but I'm just, like, exploring, I guess. I wonder if they have to be one or the other. I don't know. Maybe there's a distinction there that I'm not tuned into. So I have something about this, which is, you know, I walk, I'm, I'm here in Miami and I walk around similarly with a lot of feelings. And what has changed is that I, I no longer have an opinion about that it should be different, that it should be this or it should be that or that, that, yeah, it's like there's there's the feeling, but there's there's not like the distraction anymore. There's not the being pulled away into I cannot be here right now because this is the way things are. And so, and then what do you do with all all those feelings? It's a good question. I I don't think I'm there yet, but what I have done is, you know, start with one workshop here and start from there yeah okay it's like it's almost like i let the energy ride let it ride you know like let it let it fuel something else not not me being shut off and pissed off and 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 blaming and resenting Thank you. The point of part of this conversation is if we start upscaling some kind of impeccability about or responsibility for where our energy goes, such that we're not using up energy unconsciously for just unconscious things you know, secret things or, or sustaining beliefs or 
et cetera, et cetera. What we will we will have more energy back. That energy will be more available for other things. And so it's like we can't start talking about what to do with your energy <clears throat> in other things until you have the energy. And if you unless you do the work to rearrange the inner mechanics, your energetic body mechanics of where energy is flowing, unless you rearrange that such that you start turning off these drains, these you start plugging the holes in the sieve. And you just if you don't do that, it, it only takes a few of these and your energy's gone. So the and the point is we're we're trying to get to the place where we can figure out. You know, we can have conversations about what to do with your extra energy, what to do with the extra energy that you actually have, but that you've worked out ways to waste it invisibly in your daily life, undisciplined, you know, unconsciously, mechanically. Go, and, and we're trying to have that conversation first so that you can start doing the work to plug holes and, and start filling up with energy. So you can, so then we can have the conversation about. What can what to do with the extra energy? What to do it? And it's not extra energy like you're not supposed to have it, because it's all your energy. It's energy that you've figured out ways to to waste or get rid of internally through these mechanisms, uh, secretly in a way, so that you can kind of stay at the at the bottom of the pit, like stay in your in your ordinary survival level, and that that's. So just like just even being here in this space and paying attention and holding, helping to hold this space and to contribute to this space is uh, uh, one of the things that you can do with the extra energy. You know, you, you've saved up enough energy, you've conserved enough energy to be able to pay attention and, you know, stay alert and stay present in, in the space, kind of wherever this space goes for a couple of hours. And that's, it's a significant thing. It's not a not a little thing. <clears throat> I mean, other other ways that you might be um, devouring your energy is just if you've if you've had if you've broken any agreements, you've broken agreements that you have broken, and or broken agreements that you've made with other people and they have broken, and you haven't. As is it, you didn't go to them and say, "Look, we made this agreement, and it didn't show up that way, and let's complete this." Like that, either one of those things. <clears throat> so you can scan through your world, your people, and your day. Okay, okay, what agreements did I make? What agreements have been broken? What agreements did I keep? So keeping an agreement actually gives you energy, even if it takes effort. You know, or if you need to exert yourself, which seems like it uses up energy, but completing it, it has this reward mechanism built in. <clears throat> I'm not sure where that comes from, but it, I'm sure you know what it feels like to complete something and go, yeah, you know, it's handled. And you gave your word, you kept your word. And there's this, I don't know, there's some uh, archetype or some kind of energy about that. We were talking in the trainer path this morning with a guy who was saying that he that he had made promises to, for example, his teachers or to himself that he was going to do a thing. He promised to himself as a way of getting in the game, 
like uh, studying music, for example. I'm I can't play this music. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it without. I need your support to do it. So I'm going to promise to practice. I'm going to promise to come to this level. I'm going to promise. Like, and he made all these promises to himself, and he found out that there's a difference between a promise and a commitment. <clears throat> and the the promise. He said, "The prom- I only promise things that I can't do. I only make promises. And then I try to force myself to do the thing or to become, to get to the certain level by making this promise and then trying to force myself to do that. He says, I make, I make a commitment about things that I love, things that I want, like and really want to create or want to have happen that I, that resonates with my being, you know, that, and so it made a difference for me to hear the difference between a promise. And so he, he started saying like what I've been learning, he says, I've learning how to break my promises and how to go, go to himself and say, look, that was a promise made under duress, under stress. It was a promise I made to try to manipulate myself to do something that I, I don't know how to do or don't really can't do. And, and, and to go and say, look, that, that promise is over. That promise is finished. I, I take back, you know, that promise is over. And also the possibility of going to other people that you may have actually made promises to are like that. Say, look, I was in a situation where I thought it was so important to do this or be like this and go, that's over. You know, it was a promise. It was, it was a, and I'm breaking that promise. It's ending because promises don't ever end. It's like a forever kind of thing. Whereas a commitment has a kind of a time. I will, by this time, I'll start or finish. It has a price. It has, you know, it, it has a st- beginning and an end, a commitment. And a, this promise was like this forever kind of thing. So he was undoing promise, undoing old promises. So that could be a way that you're, uh, devouring your energies that you're carrying this secret, these maybe to yourself until now secret promises that you've made to yourself or other people. Does anybody have any of those? Do you can you say what some are? One of those, some of those are anybody? I promise myself to be the good guy in any situation, and it's like. I think I need to be a bad guy for good reasons. Because <laughs> right now, the good guy doesn't win anything. Yeah, so you're really breaking a promise then. And it's a being a bad guy, breaking promises, for one thing. So you need to be a bad guy to break a promise. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Somebody else? And that I make promises, the, the promises that I make is I will do this by then. And and then it's a form of manipulation of myself of then I have a deadline. Then I have this force of instead of doing it when it's appropriate. So I have at least one going on right now that I'm I've broken for a week. So do you need to, is that to yourself or to somebody else? No, it's more to somebody else. Mm-hmm. More, I, I will, I'll write up this process. I will, I will write an article, I, this kind of thing. So I will 
I will come, I will reveal my lie that I did not, I did not complete the promise. And I also did not say that I did not complete the promise and see, see if I can go without making these time promises. Cause I notice that I do it often actually mm-hmm. at least two, two or three times a week. Yeah. I, I promised that um, to myself that it's always from Monday, it's only from the day, the actual day, that I'm going to stop eating certain things. So usually it's like, from Monday, it's, I will not eat any processed food, anything with sugar in it. I will exercise every day. I will, this, these are the kind of promises, and they're always in the future. Just after this cake. Was the last one? After this cake, it's oh, yeah. in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Jeff, you were going to say something? Yeah, I have two. One is I have this lifelong promise to my family that I will be there for them, that I will love them forever. And I see how it creates this cage around who I can be with them, or it has created this cage. And yeah, I'm going to review that promise. And the other one is I... I, I promised you, Clinton, that I would deliver this book to you by by this month. And last year in May, I, I promised that I would deliver it by this month. And I don't know if I want to, it's like take away the, the, the pressure, but I still want to uphold this commitment that I would have this done. So I'm not sure where this, where this leaves me with it, but I'm, I, would, I just look back at the email and I wrote the words, I promised. And so I've, I don't know where that, that leaves me right now. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the... Eu acho que tem, ouvindo vocês, as minhas promessas têm mais a ver com o mundo de fantasias que eu queria, do que eu deveria ser, ou de quem eu deveria ser. Sobre qualquer coisa, pode ser sobre... Olá, espera, espera. My promises have more to do with the fantasy worlds that I create, of who I should be and how I should be. E, e depois, pode ser de qualquer coisa, pode ser comida, pode ser como possibilitadora, pode ser qualquer coisa na minha vida. And it can be about anything, food or being a possibilitator, anything in my life. E depois o que eu faço é criar pressão para fazer essa para fazer esse mundo de fantasias acontecer. And then what I do is that I create pressure to make those fantasy worlds happen real, to to make them be real. Uhum. E eu acho que comprometimento tem mais a ver com estar na realidade. And I think that commitment it, it has more to be with being in reality. Thank you for that distinction. Yeah, that's more what we're talking about, the fantasy world thing. And I realize I made a lot of promises to myself, for example, of not making a certain mistake again or behave in a certain way again. And or I made promises of not being like that person. And these are also more promises like myself. And all these promises, mm, they make the, make it very, 
how you say it? Stiff, not free, and put a lot of pressure and judgment on myself. Like, yeah, and I realize it's not it's not working. It's not working yeah. well. Yeah, thank you. I like to read. I know that other people had their hands up or whatever, but I'd like to read just some more so you get some other ideas of ways that you might be devouring your energy. So one of them is borrowing things or money from somebody else or loaning things or money to somebody else. Because there's this management of the thing, the management of the money. You have to manage it this way or that way, but to have it, it's an imbalance so in order to complete the borrowing or the loaning, it's important to bring it back into balance. So you can just look through your life and go, okay, where, where have I, who's got my stuff or whose stuff do I have, you know, and just give it back or take it back. And even if you don't really want it, you say, you know, that book that I loaned you six months ago, um, it's, I don't want it anymore, you know, and then it's, it's, and they say, well, I lost it anyway, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's this energy drain on it. But it's to clean up, cleaning up that stuff. Protecting other people from feeling hurt is the way that you're devouring your energy. So this, if you've been working with feelings and emotions, you probably have gotten to the place where if somebody else is feeling something, that's great. It's not a, it's not a thing to avoid. And so... But still trying to make it so that somebody does not feel something or have, you know, then you're, you're really using up your own energy. You're devouring your own energy in, in trying to solve other people's problems in a way or trying to keep people away from reality or life or something. You do that also by being adaptive in any way or um, being a source of psychic violence. So I don't imagine any of you are doing this, but you probably know people who, who are doing this or who have done that. And it's the people who you've got vengeance going on or plotting revenge, or you have this, this re resentment going on, like a reactive resentment going on. And it's in there. It's inside of you. So, and it, and it comes out as a vibration, you know, and, and people who are psychic or emotionally sensitive can, spot those people, you know, 100 meters away. You know, it's just like, you know, stay away from that person because they're just radiating dark energy or something. It's just this stuff that's going on. And, and you know, those that kind of healing is usually just emotional healing process and clarity about what, you know, what your gremlin is, what your purpose is, you know, what resentment is, like all those kinds of things. It take, But it does take work. Another thing is, um, making to-do lists, making lists of things, to, and I, you know, then you all this energy goes into this. You know, it's like promises. You know, you're going to promise yourself to do. So I don't make to-do lists anymore. I just I make these other kind of lists. It's like here's here's the, my new kind of list. I don't know if you can see it. It's just a. Uh, it's I write every which way, and it's all about whatever and. I don't know. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, it's a condensed form of, of concentrated energy, you know, because it all fits in, in these little cards. <laughs> so it's very condensed. I could burn this. 
No. The someday no. list. What? <laughs> what is it? It's a someday list. No, it's, someday list. It's a dark hole, actually. <laughs> you know but I said, I, well, I, when I don't. Oh, no, go ahead, Jacqueline. When I when I don't make the to do list, it's also sucking my energy. So it's like right. I can't win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the difference I experienced is the the expectation that is put on the list of while writing it. Like, is it an expectation that I do everything in a certain amount of time? Is it to keep ideas? I think these things are making huge differences. And for example, yeah, for example, some of my clients, I realize they have a an online list. They have an on paper. And it's all called to-do list and it puts so much pressure and drains so much energy on them. And I said, okay, skip all of that. Just call it different, for example, uh, idealist or whatever, and just commit to one or two or three specific tasks and do them. And even that's, yeah, sometimes pressure. Idealist. Yeah. We discovered we discovered that there's a distinction between a to-do list and a keeping tabs open, like keeping tabs on the computer open. And I'm seeing now that keeping tabs open is also this energy draining thing. Cause like they're all there and it's like, ah, I could I should I should go back and watch the video. I should go back and read the the website. And it's <laughs> And it sucks the life out of me when I open my computer. Along so there's, lines, also... there's a thing called making other plans. It's, mm. it's sort of like a secret life. But it's like, here you are involved in this and that and the other thing. But actually, back there, you've got secret backup plans. You know, so if this doesn't work, or what I would really want to do is like this. Or, you know, if this doesn't work out, you know, I've got this and that and this. You know, anybody have secret plans going on? I had a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, making other plans, having a back door. It's like leading a double life. You know, you're. it's really scary these days that people who are doing that Instagram sort of thing, because you see them going around and they have their photographer with them. So it's not really their partner anymore. Instagram people don't. <laughs> people who carry the tripod and carry the camera and know how know how to watch for lighting and good setups and frameworks, and then they can pose. You know, they can do the. God, we saw this woman at this one restaurant. It was unbelievable. It was so. It was like she half naked in about three seconds. She was half naked in front of the glass door to this restaurant. And then, then she just walks away as if nothing happened, and a photographer runs after her. <laughs> but they're all like, "This is like a, a double life." It's and and it's like the the fake one is bigger than the real one. Like in in those cases, and it's, that's what's scary about it. It's just really scary. What happens if they get a flat tire in the middle of the jungle, and their photographer is not there to change their tire? I mean, it's going to have a nervous breakdown right there. So. Doing things that you do, what was that? Doing things that you do not consciously take responsibility for choosing to do, like even like washing the dishes or um, 
looking at your emails or doing the whatever the laundry like the thing the thing you think that has to be done or should be done or needs to be done but if you don't consciously choose to do it then there's the it's a it's a machine you're, you're functioning like a robot and and you can say i am consciously going to flush the toilet you know i am consciously going to empty the garbage i'm consciously putting the dishes in the shelf i'm consciously wiping the counter whatever it and it's instead of kind of being sleepwalking, you know, through your world, because that would, that uses up your energy. It's like, you think I'm going to do two things at the same time, right? I'm going to unconsciously wipe the counter and consciously figure out what I'm doing the rest of the afternoon. But in fact, it's a sleepwalking thing. You're, you're provoke, provoking sleepwalking. <clears throat> I want to say one thing to that. I've noted, I've in the last week, I've done a process where I discovered that I can still have those fantasies from past lives, like these fantasies for a different life that I want to live. Can can I can carry them from, like I, I lived this life in another village that I didn't want to live, actually, that I wasn't really into about. And I still carried the, the resentment or the discontentment from this life into into my experience now and it, it it was there from the beginning and so i can have these secret dream lives yeah i can i can bring them already with me and then the other thing that i notice is that also fantasies people like it seems like i and we, we did a, a circle around uh, about this people can have these fantasies about how they actually wish their life would be mm -hmm. and it might be um, I, I'm, I actually want to be a wizard, but I'm not telling anybody. And so I'm, to, I'm totally fed up with my life because actually I want to be a wizard. And so I'm not showing up for the rest of my life because I keep living in this fantasy world. And people do that and they watch TV shows where they can fulfill those fantasies because they do not manage to bring it into the experience of this life or the, the qualities of what they want to experience actually like magic and co-creation because they cannot bring it into their experience here. They keep need to live that in, in parallel realities, like in fictional realities. And yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So as you can see, I'm just reading from the book right now. As you can see, your energy is swiftly devoured by countless distractions. Without paying attention to where your attention is, your precious energy is easily sucked away. It's like a sieve with a thousand holes. You can be drained out in a matter of seconds. You know how you pour, pour water into one of these sieves? It doesn't hold, it goes, it's gone. No wonder we can be so tired halfway through the day without realizing how we frivolously spend our daily energy allotment. And then we have little patience for deep listening or for being with others or for doing edge work experiments. That daily allotment of energy is the food of both the archetypal male and archetypal female. If our archetypal energy is eaten by other things, 
then we have no resources to work with. It is archetypal men's and women's job to create and manage their own resources. So this this is a powerful wizard sentence. It's like for those for those of you who want to be a wizard, it's like okay, create and manage your own resources. So one of those resources, for example, is necessity. When you when you can create your own necessity, then these other archetypal forces can align with your purpose, with your purpose. So there's a, a website that started and it's called Necessity. Mm-hmm. And it's it's uh it's one of the things that I would encourage you to do as an experiment is to formulate your necessity. What is your necessity? And what is your necessity with other people? What is your necessity in a space? What is your necessity today? What is your necessity in, in like in a bigger sense? So if you're clear about your necessity, then you can take things out of the way of your necessity. You can actually in, influence, like uh, feed your own necessity. Because it's a it's an archetypal force, and and the universe will respond. Like if you have true necessity, the universe has to comply, has to supply whatever whatever's needed. If you have a necessity, like from your box or from your gremlin or from your ego or from your mother or from society or something like that, those these are flimsy, artificial, kind of worthless fantasy world things. But if you have if you can cause necessity, you can call in your own resources. And so it's a matter of perspective and and the way you're practicing. So you're so if uh, to create and manage energy, both archetypal women and archetypal men can intentionally establish a different practice with your attention. You can start playing a new game. And what's great about starting to play a new game is that most people around you in the ordinary world are playing the ordinary world game, which is money, power, possessions, looking good, being cool, survival, et cetera, being winning this kind of thing. This is the ordinary game. And so when you're playing a different game, you can be in the same space in the same time, but, but, but have a different necessity, have participate in a different uh, order of things. You have a different cause and a different effect. And so that makes even ridiculously tedious things extraordinary. I mean, I have this practice of conservation of nice glass jars, so it's a problem is I'm nomadic. So wherever I go, you know, when I finish off a jar of tahini or uh, mama, bon maman marmalade from France that has this really, they're stackable. The bon maman glasses are stackable and the label comes off really easy on, on those glasses. And it's just great for popcorn kernels, you know, or mung beans or uh, all that stuff to store things in. But, so my... My practice is scraping off labels from jars to because, you know, can I make a jar? 
if you give me some sand, can I make a jar? And the answer is, <laughs> I it's I could make a clay bowl, you know, a clay pot, you know, find the clay and build a fire and bake it and stuff like this. But taking sand and filtering it, you know, getting it that hot and then making the shape of it while it's that hot, you know, and, and a shape that can hold a, a lid on it, that can seal it. This is, I saw them doing this once in China back in the 1980s. I was driving a bicycle back around Guilin, which is this place in China that has the mountains that look like this, that looks like all the Chinese paintings with the water going by. It actually exists there. <clears throat> Got a bicycle. I was going back and there's about a hundred Chinese people in this, in, this, in this loop where they would have one of these poles, you know, that you can blow in and they would dip it in this, in the furnace, in this molten glass and get a blob of glass on it. And then they'd walk away and the next person would get a blob of glass. And when they're walking away, they're balancing that blob of glass so it doesn't fall off. And then they start blowing in it to try to get it the right shape. And when it's the right size and has the right consistency, they shove this molten glass into a mold and keep blowing on it. And then another person's over there slicing off the thing and they're spinning it to keep it in the mold. <clears throat> and then it cools off enough. And so they have, it takes this hundred people in this, in this furnace and this whole high level of skill just to make a glass jar that, you know, basically most people just throw away. Well, I'm going to recycle the glass, you know, I'm just recycling it. But those things are so precious. So anyway, <clears throat> scraping the label off of one of those jars is really tedious. But if I'm doing it with a different intention, like a different necessity, like if I'm doing it to cause a certain level of, of impeccability or drala in the space in terms of, my cupboards, instead of having plastic, my food in plastic stuff, I have my food in jars, glass jars. So I'm in a different orientation. So why am I scraping this? I'm not a slave. There's nobody, you know, saying, you know, you're worth a thousand dollars an hour and you're scraping stupid labels off of a jar. <clears throat> it's, there's a different thing happening. So anyway, it makes a special, makes things special that are ordinarily ordinary. So this is what you can do when you're relating also. So if somebody's, if you, somebody, you're talking to somebody and they're telling you about what they're sad about or scared about or problems of their day. And you go, God, I've heard this a million times. You know, I, I, you can solve the problem this way and that way, you know, or, you know, I'm tired, whatever, whatever the thing is, you can shift it using this procedure to make it, elegant to make it you have a different practice with your attention you can actually play a different game in your relating where every word that comes out of that person's mouth is it sets up this vibration that you can like you can actually be in love with and be, be letting it feed you this energy that it doesn't really matter what the word says what matter is is that it's being said to you from them and this is a it's a, a reception of, of a gift of extraordinary and, and and wonderful dimensions that you're paying total attention to as for a way to receive it in in that way. And so and then what does that do to the speaker? The speaker feels what how how you are receiving the gift, how you're receiving their creation. 
And it's, it turns into this reciprocal exchange of magical gifts. And everybody thinks you're talking about cleaning the toilet or paying, you know, paying the rent on your house. And in fact, it's this reciprocal exchange of magical gifts going on. And that's what I mean by playing a different game. So, so this list, I encourage you, I encourage you to get together and with other people, with your team or your partner, or whatever, and go through in like a checklist. You know, it's like a, <clears throat> at a car checkup or something. You know, this thing you bring your car in and they check all these elements of your car to see if it's in how, what kind of running condition it's in. And just go through this, you know, are you saying more than is necessary? Are you being late even a few minutes? Are you strategizing ways to get revenge? Are you trying to be, are you trying to look normal? Are you, you know, all these things, you could just go down the list, you know, and, and check out how it is and don't do it just once, you know, do it once a year, maybe for a few years. It'll be a way to reveal the internal mechanics of um, where your energy goes. Clinton, would you would you read the whole, all of them, even if it's for the recording or for us just to read them to land them in the space? No, the reason is because it, uh, people it's too much. People get overdosed and go to sleep, and the whole we lose the space too easily that way. Okay. Can, can you can you share it in a different way uh, with us, like on the yes. group chat or somewhere? Yeah, it's page two hundred and sixty-two. I'll put I can put the list on there. Yeah, we can figure attention. out a way. We can figure out a way. Yeah. I will not make a promise about when that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> so the game starts like this. Track where your attention is directing your energy during the day, during the minute, minute by minute. How much energy are you giving to what and when and why? And especially why? Before you try to change anything about what you are doing, this is really important, this part. Like Before you try to change anything, it is counterintuitive but very important to watch it first. This is called self-observation. It's called neutral self-observation. And if you if you if you go, oh my God, I think I'm doing this. Okay, I'm going to change it. You don't get what's happening before you stick your your like monkey wrench into the works, and then you won't, and it'll mess it all up. But you're trying to change something, you don't even know what it is. What's the alchemical reaction? I don't know, but I'm going to change it. So the point is to Notice what you're noticing with and watch first with a neutral opinion. Watch for a long time. Spend weeks, maybe even months watching what you do with your energy, noticing it. You have to watch what you were doing for so long that you get sick of it. So this means feel the pain of it. It just means get consciously aware of the consequences and feel the pain about the consequences because that is a, is an internal alchemical force is, is conscience. 
you know, it's a, a thing called, it's a thing the psychopaths do not have. The, it's a connection between your mind and your heart creates conscience, which is a, a kind of a really dis, discomfort an uncomfortable pain. When you, when you notice something that's going crazy inside of yourself without trying to interfere with it um, by changing something, it will change by itself through conscience, the, just through the feeling of the pain of it. The only I'm thing, go ahead. I'm, I'm wondering about the distinction between attention and energy, because what I'm getting is that like where my energy is going is, is somehow where my conscious or unconscious attention is like left behind or in the future or wherever. But if I have the energy, like the energy of anger or, you know, feelings that arise as energy, that's, that's like, I can use my attention to just, like pay attention to them and do something with them or not is it like this i think this is the distinction but then i, I have this fear that and maybe this is what you're saying is that if i'm using my attention to 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 choose something different like not get hooked then i'm somehow overriding the energy that is real or I'm redirecting to some different energy. Yeah. It's not overriding. Then you're doing this, you know, you're fighting, but you're using it for what it's good for. You're using it on purpose. Like you said, at the end, you're redirecting it. Yeah. I think it's not only that it's, I think, I mean, it's that where you putting your attention, you can also call in energies that you didn't have before. Like you can call in archetypal energies that you don't have access to if your attention is on survival. Like your archetypal lineage can't provide you with energy if you if you're doing survival. But if you have conscious necessity, then immediately energy of echo the energy of your your archetypal you know feel your feelings archetypal feelings character um, shows up so, so it's like the attention can carve a new groove for energy to flow into in some way yeah the attention <clears throat> the attention is awareness versus unconscious it's kind of like knowing where your eyes are looking Say if you're looking one way and you'd start walking, you're going to walk the way you're looking. Trying to walk the opposite direction is very difficult. So being aware of where you're looking lets you know where energy will go. It's just the energy follows that on its own. That's the path that's created. Trying to do your energy a different direction than where your attention is doesn't doesn't exist. Yeah, and so there's a lot going on. And so it isn't a simple it isn't a simple linear thing. There's just really a, a lot happening all at the same time. And so it isn't something that you're going to figure out with your mind, but you can figure it out with other forces, and attention is one of them. But oh. intention is another one, and purpose is another one. 
and commitment is another one. And there's there's really many factors involved that we can't really work with them all at the same time. So we're working with one at a time to bring it into the into your hands, you know, so you can start becoming facile. You know, you can start using this stuff. So we're working with attention now. We're starting to work with attention. And the point is that if you can watch yourself waste away your energy, when that gets when the pain of it gets strong enough, you will automatically change the pattern without having to make the kind of efforts that don't really work anyway. You don't have to fight against it. Instead, it will just become this, you're redesigning your interior so that you, that it flows a different way because of the, of the, of the consciousness of the way it was flowing before. And you started flowing it this other way before, even though it caused pain, it allowed you to survive. And if you waste your energy or you blame people or you hang on to resentment or you carry grudges or or these all these things that we do to use up our energy, you know, to suppress yourself or give your center away or be adaptive, et cetera, et cetera, to not speak, all those things. You use up your energy that way to survive. But then it's after 20 years, 30 years, it's a pattern. You know, after a week, it's a pattern. So it takes a while to repattern. It takes a while to, and the and the way that the first thing you have to do is see where it's going the first way, to see where the leak is. Where's the leak? Notice the leak. What's the? Oh yeah. And then for sure there's emotional healing processes that go with this. And like Kian said, it could even be past life stuff. So it's it's like do those processes because it was important what you did to waste your energy that way or to not could not speak or not show up all those are were designed on purpose so it wasn't stupid like beating yourself up for being stupid is not what we're talking about because that's trying to change things that's judging criticizing yourself self-abuse it's all that so what we're trying to do is notice where it's going when the pain of watching yourself waste away your energy gets strong enough you'll automatically change your habits without having to effort. If your habits of flowing energy have not changed, it is because you have not yet let the pain of awareness about what you are doing get intense enough. Let it get intense. Let yourself feel it. It's called remorse. It's called conscience. Those are important tools, important um, modes of being is to have conscience and to have remorse. It's not beating yourself up. When you contain and consciously direct how you're flowing your energy more and more, you start building new kinds of muscles. These are energy muscles. The new muscles allow you to direct and focus your attention and energy through new capacities. Try to imagine what resources you would accumulate if you were able to conserve most of your energy during the day. To conserve most of your energy during the day. This does not mean that you lie in bed, you know, chanting some mantra all day. That's not what this is. Conserving your energy involves going about your day, paying attention to your attention in two specific ways. One way is pay attention to avoid flowing your energy anywhere unconsciously. So just take that as, take that as a challenge for this week. 
Do not flow your energy anywhere unconsciously. This means you have to become aware of where, how you're unconsciously flowing energy somewhere. So how are you going to do that? You know, make your attention harder to get. One of the ways is to make your attention harder to get. There's so many things out there trying to get your attention. So like bright lights are amazing. Don't look at any bright lights, sparkly things, colorful things. Like, don't look at those things, signs, posters, you know, advertisements, stuff in the shop window, you know, these startling sounds from your phone, etc. Try to not learn, learn to make your attention hard to get, except from your children or your partner. You get the difference? It's not about having your kids try to fight to get your attention. It's the, but there's all those other things out there. Make your attention hard to get. And the second way is pay attention to flow the exact amount of energy needed to accomplish what you want. Not too much, not too little. So the appropriate amount of energy to handle the thing. And then it's over. It's finished. It's done. And it's not overkill and it's not underkill. If it's underkill, you know, the thing will be back. You know, you can't just half-ass some. There's things you can do half-ass and it works. And there's things you can't do half-ass. So, yeah. Following these two practices gives you energy and reserve. But be careful about managing your new reserves of energy. Because the present design of your box can only tolerate a certain maximum level of energy reserves, and it has many conscious and un mostly unconscious ways to quickly blow off more energy than your box can handle. Your box can only handle a certain level of energy. So you have to be careful because some of the ways that the box is figured out to blow off energy, you know, are really harmful in, to yourself or others, to your physical body, your, your emotional body. There's ways that you're, you know, if your box has too much energy, it will go, God, I can't, you know, I'm not going to sleep, whatever. I'm going to watch TV all night, whatever the thing is. I'm going to eat candy. I'm going to, whatever the thing is, you know, I'm going to start a low drama just to blow off the energy. So it's a, it's a conscious and intentional, it's like getting off of brain drugs in a way. If you're using brain drugs and you try to go cold turkey on brain drugs, you can die. I had a guy in a training, he without telling me, it was an expanded box training. He, he didn't tell me, but he was going cold turkey on some, some kind of brain drugs. And by Sunday noontime, he, we come back from a break and he is having a full grand mal seizure in the middle of the training floor. And, you know, we had no idea what he was doing. We finally get him to the hospital, you know, and go through this whole thing. And he said, yeah, I thought I was, I could just stop taking my brain drugs, you know, at the training. Don't let you, that's what, so that's what this is like. It's like, there's, there's a way to get off brain drugs. It's like you decrease 10% for the first month and then 50% the second month and down to 20%, you know, like that. You gradually go off over three or four or six months, something like that. And so it's the same thing like this is let it, let it, let your system reorder in, in an organic way. It, your system is designed to do this kind of evolutionary changes, these healing processes, but 
you need to do it. You need to do it gradually in an organic, natural way. You don't force this. It's not about forcing things. So your box can only tolerate a certain maximum level of extra energy. And it has conscious and unconscious ways to blow off more energy than it can handle by conserving energy. And it won't take, you'd be surprised how much energy you can take with a little effort. It'll be a surprising amount of new energy. Your box will quickly be faced with more energy than it can process. Quickly in this case means within even a few hours of practice. Like, uh, I think it was, uh, who was it that was singing from, from Tenerife? What's her name? Elisa. Elisa, I think, was saying, she said something like, you know, I'm not going to eat this. You know, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to exercise every day. You know, that lasts about three hours. You know, and all of a sudden you have more energy than you can handle. And your body, the whole system goes into some kind of crazy breakdown. So it, it really, in the case, it means within even a few hours of practice, you can conserve more energy than your box can handle. So you just have to understand this. This is physics. It's kind of internal physics. And so that when you know about it, you can navigate it. Conserving energy produces evolution by reflex. I learned this from a guy named E.J. Gold, that term, evolution by reflex. And it's like most people in the most people who are in the consciousness field want to evolve. And they think, well, if I do yoga, I will evolve. If I'm vegetarian, I will evolve. If I wear all bamboo clothes, I will evolve. You know, if I invest in some company, I will evolve, whatever. So, you know, this is clever, but it's pretty effective. Yes, just an lesson. You will evolve. So, but then this is evolution by some kind of doing something. And so how sustainable, like how, how sustainable will that be? I mean, you already know, you've probably had tried this a bunch of times yourself, that if you effort yourself to evolve, it's like a rubber band. You pull it out and you let go, it goes right back to the way it was. You know, look, and I evolved. You know, it lasts about as long as somebody's looking at you. And then you let go and it snaps back. So evolution by reflex means you've built the matrix in you that that your your inner structure relates to the universe in a different way. Your behavior changes and your awareness changes and your and your interactions change by reflex. Like it's no longer reflexing the old way, it's reflexing a new way because your structure is different. This is called building matrix in your being. I just want to make a little parenthesis because I, I mean, really, this liquid state about this, how how are we engaging the the healing village, it, it, part of possibility management, and somehow I'm really struggling or being in this liquid state and this consideration about the game world of how how EHPs are are miraculous. I mean, it's ama- it's an amazing thing that we discovered that emotional um, reactivity or emotions are a source of healing. And I, and I've seen even in myself that the, like Clinton was saying, the changes of going through an EHP. And then a few days later, I'm already seeing the results. Like I'm already seeing how I'm behaving differently or the world is behaving differently with me. 
it's like, okay, wow, that's really, it's possible. And at the same time, how that for, for I mean, for me, and, and I mean, how that really needs to go along building matrix to be able to have a place for these new behaviors to, to arrive. And I, and I think the, I don't know if it's a danger, but I, like pe- people meet possibility management and notice ah, this emotional healing process. I can like ask for anybody to, you know, take me through a process, not, not having the clarity of what well, it needs matrix building as much. It needs the matrix building and the HP and matrix building and EHP and multi. And so I, I just want to kind of put it in the field and say it over and over again to, encourage your clients to keep to do practices to keep building matrix it's not a experiment an experiment so it's not a therapy like you come here for six months and you come once a year you know once a week and we talk or or whatever it's there's a bunch of other things to do and the one way to look at it i thought was i'm practicing and if there's something in the way of my practice, that's the moment to do the EHP. Like that's the sign for the EHP. And because so so much of the, I mean, not so much, but I think a lot of people who come and ask for EHPs, it's a lack of skill, really. What, they, what they're suffering from is a lack of skill and not necessarily whatever, a block, an old decision, whatever the, the thing seems to be. And so I just really want to encourage us to put practice at the center of the healing village as much as EHVs. Yeah, thank you. Anybody wanted to say anything right now? Yeah, what I want to share is I realize uh, last year, after doing some healing processes, I snapped back into old patterns to lower my energy. For example, drinking alcohol or something like that. And it, because it was too much to carry that energy that was freed up. And I'm just while listening, I realized that these were um, some lifelong strategies of how I suppressed my energy because maybe my energy was too much for my surrounding or for myself to carry. So I had all these different strategies of, yeah, lowering my, my energy because I didn't could carry it. It was too much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Just imagine the school, just, you know, they, they put us in chairs and we just sit down as kids you know, we're supposed to sit there for four, six, eight hours a day in these chairs. And and if you've seen kids anywhere in the world, <clears throat> they don't sit down for longer than a minute. You know, there's something is up, something got to move, got to take off or something. And that the way we had to learn how to suppress or waste or tie in knots, all this energy we had just to move. And that's just the movement energy. Because we had energy for a whole other things, for learning, discovering, experiments, trying, testing, exchanging, relating, like this so much energy. And it, um, it's such a heavy 
uh, set of wounds to face. Like we've, we've last summer, we did this heal from school lab in Poland. And it was just, it was even after five days of heavy duty heal from school processing, we were just getting to some of the wounds, just barely touching them because they're so deep in us. So that thing that you're talking about, Christopher, that it's so big, it really is that big and deep. It's, you know, it's worth doing the work, you know, because we, we are designed for something entirely else. You have to untie the knots. You have to re-let the, how the energy flow through in different ways. And that's big work. And we can't do it alone. You know, it's really, I hope, Christopher, I hope you have a team or a three-cell or you have a possibility team like that if you're in groups. Because we really, we can't do this alone. We really need teams for this. Somebody else going to share something? And yes, what it what it seems like to me even is that um, the the whole the whole game of living alone at a place and and doing your emotional healing process and trying to keep staying in the same structure of living alone in your otherwise totally survival based life that alone is not working and and so i see how the necessity of bridge houses for for the actual transformation is it it, it becomes so apparent and i wondered for some time why were like why didn't communities form out of possibility management before and i i don't have an answer but i i it seems to me that the the clarity at the moment ripples through through this game world that the healing needs to happen in these little cultural bubbles where where you can start implementing and living a different life that can sustain the energy that is freed up and and do things together or like work or have kind of a have a, a, a community of practice that keeps you engaged so you don't there's no the way back is harder it's still possible but Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Nicole, how's how is your Bridge House project going, by the way? Uh, it thanks for asking. I'm getting a lot of hints and tips about it here today. Can you speak louder, Nicole? Yes. Thank you. How it's going is is this is this mm, like getting in touch with my necessity and the 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 village weaving part is 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 really it right now. It's about going. Yeah, I I have I have so many things coming rushing in right now to share about. It's about being in the small here and now and noticing my impulses to do things that seem unreasonable and like I don't even get it. I just get there's this 
there's this impulse that's coming from my archetypal lineage to do something and and more often doing those things and and letting letting kind of letting echo have its way with me and and then just opening my mouth and when the fear's there and just you know radically trusting that that the aliveness especially of conscious feelings work when i bring something about that into a relational space that something will happen and and it's like staying with my necessity where my necessity kind of meets the necessity that a bridge house exists and that and that i'm here this is what i'm here for in in this specific time and place and you know just coming like oh i had a call with kian and laura on sunday because i just i want to go and rage with them in person and i want to bring as many people with me from the coast call in as many people from calgary area to join and it's happening and i'm terrified like you know your your list of things is like i have that because just to kind of remember to bring my attention back to things that i think my gremlin's just gonna be like nope don't 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 remember that because that would be responsible and that would create what you want yeah and and, and it's this mixture of like not having an in-person bridge house right now, not having other possibilitators with me, it's building the necessity. And I'm so glad that, that there's not the pressure of, you know, like, like being with my mom also is there's so much space in it to, to learn how to love somebody, like learn how to really let love be in the relational space instead of my opinions and my judgments and the tension that comes into my physical body when when yeah i'm putting energy into stopping something inside me from coming out that's that's not my gremlin it's and yeah this is one of my experiments right now is to notice for when i'm putting energy into tensing my physical body mm. as a indicator that i'm blocking something mm. and it's 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 wild how much energy that's freeing up to instead of using my fear unconsciously to tense myself and hold things in i'm i'm feeling the fear of what what the consequence of that is and letting the fear free flow in my system and i am so scared as i do it and and that makes it even more free flow <laughs> and then it like i'm jerking around and i'm like oh wow like people are gonna think i'm crazy and i'm like okay that could work <laughs> you know just trust it <laughs> and yeah so that's something about how it's going right now thank you, thank you. <clears throat> well i'd like to share with everybody about a process I was with with uh, a woman who is a space holder and has a lot of possible energy like exactly the kind of thing projects and this 
energy and problems and conflicts and resources and people need things and people you know have all these possibilities and and so and her what the thing is like it's about school really it's like in school we were trained to basically put our hands on the desk you know and just sit there and there's and handle it with our mind but in reality there's we're designed differently from that and if you if you look at the for example a seagull on the coast and the, there's there's this wind blowing at the ocean and the seagull when he's standing on the on the sand he's got his wings down you know and he's facing into the wind and and kind of struggling to stay there on the sand but if he takes his wings and goes like this, you know, he, he doesn't have to make any effort and he will be lifted right off the sand. And then all of a sudden, there's no struggle anymore between the velocity of, of the wind and the stability of the sand, which is a conflict. You know, the sand's pretty much staying there and the wind is going by and you've got to stand here and get attached by the wind. And it's this conflict. But if you put your wings out, so you can try this, Nicole, right now to slowly put your wings out, to sort of put raise them up pretty high. Yeah, even higher, a little bit higher. Yeah. And this thing, this energy will just pick you right up. And you can get that you're aerodynamically designed to fly in a massive amount of energy flow and all this stuff going around. And you don't have to have your feet, you know, gripping onto the ground. You can you can do this. And then when, when the wind's really high, you can move one feather, basically, you know, one little feather, and you just turn. You don't have to make these huge efforts. To, and if things get really rough up there, you can fold your wings up even like this and go, you can see birds do this. You can watch birds and they'll be, and then they'll go like this and they'll go without with their wings tucked in. And so we're, we're designed on the energetic level to manage, to navigate, to surf through all this, these huge, really, resources with ease, with easefulness, because we're aerodynamically designed not to be standing on the ground, not to be sitting in the chair at school, you know, not to be sitting still and tight and hard and clenched up like this. It's to just, so you can practice that from time to time, you know, putting your arms out, walking walking through the room or walking in the shopping zone or just hanging out there in this, just, just feel, you know, because there's so much going through. You just put your arms up, you lift right up, and you're in a completely different relationship to what's possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was great. She got, she totally got it. It was an amazing conversation. Yeah, cool. All right, I'm going to see if we can finish this page. I'm going to read through it. So, like I said, conserving energy produces evolution by reflex. But remember what Anne Chloe said, which is you need to have the matrix you know, and the, and the discipline, whatever, the, the, the way the energy flows to manage the extra energy. So otherwise, you, you do what Christopher was saying, you just revert back to the old, you crash yourself, basically, because you can't manage the extra energy is what we're talking about. 
When your newly conserved energy has exceeded a certain limit, your box's self-regulation mechanisms destabilize you. And your box will have a tendency to automatically reorder itself into a, a more elegant and refined design. Let me say that again. So when you when you have more energy that exceeds your box, we're talking about Ilya Prigogine's theory of dissipative structures, if you don't know what that is. So human beings are dissipative structures, which means that we're created by the energy that flows through us. So there's all kinds of different energy that flows through us, like peanut butter sandwiches, sunlight, you know, really good orange juice and mangoes, you know, sexuality, you know, all this really good videos. There's all kinds of energy that flows through us. And so it's like a tornado. You know, tornadoes going like this, but if it's made by the wind going through it. And as soon as the wind stops going through it, there is no tornado. So same with us. It's like memories. You know, there's certain energy that sustains your memories. And when when the energy's gone, the memory's gone. It's like that. It's like this, this energy, because your your cells in your brain change every seven years. So, but your memories last longer than that. So how does that possible? So, so you, the way this happens, this kind of evolution by reflex is that you conserve energy, conserve more energy than your box can handle. Your box destabilizes. It can't handle it, so it destabilizes. And if you've built matrix, the right kind of matrix, it reorders into a new design inside of you. The whole thing reorders into a new design. And it will more elegant, more refined, a, a design that can flow and direct even more energy than before. So it's like Antoy said, build matrix, evolve. Build matrix, evolve like this. So on the way to this new refined design, your box will go through liquid states. So that's the reordering part. So just be forewarned, just, just realize this, that your internal world is going to shift around in ways you cannot predict or control when you're on this path of evolution because your box is designed to evolve. It's a dissipative structure. When you do this work of conserving energy, it will get perturbed. Your box will get perturbed and it, and it perturbed just in the right amount that it will shift around into a new design. And it's designed for this. Be gentle with yourself during those liquid states. You, like, just so you understand what they are. Like, Give yourself plenty of space for the liquid states. Having liquid states does not mean that something is wrong. It can mean that your box is evolving to a new shape. So be careful to conserve energy also during the liquid states. You get that? You might be having this hysterical laughing liquid state. That does not mean blow off all your energy because you need that energy to, to stabilize in the new shape. You know, so if you have extra energy, you're going through this ecstatic, you know, liquid state. Don't just waste the energy because you'll get, you know, you get sick or you crash or whatever afterwards. So really conserve your energy also during the liquid states. Do not go binging on sweets or emotional catharsis while you're liquid. Be patient. Do something with your hands. So this is important. Something with your hands, like needlework. So I have a 
sewing kit that I just carry around with me. And I was sewing Aunt Chloe's dress. I sewed a new button on her dress the other day just for something to do with my hands. Because uh, it's from the Sufi tradition to have those kinds of practices like uh, carving wood, stone, stone, stone carving, sewing, especially needlework, these kinds of handwork, uh, basket making, these kinds of things. Re read a good book, clean the house, watch movies, meditate, go for a long walk, wait it out. In a few days, you will get accustomed to the condition of having more energy in your system. And then you can start exploring what new things are possible for you to create with your new state, your new condition, and your new energy. If you have conserved your energy and you make it through the liquid states and your box reorders, then when you consciously place your attention on something or someone, that thing or someone receives a, a different dose of your energy, like a more highly focused, a more highly, more richer, fuller dose of your energy when you put your attention there. With practice, your attention energy can become quite strong. Conserving your energy and then consciously arranging to place your attention on your partner, for example, for an extended period of time can cause some quite amazing results. End of chapter eight. <laughs> End of chapter eight. Uh, the next chapter nine is titled A Short Course on Archetypal Woman and Archetypal Man. A short course on the archetypal woman and man. So that's where we're going or crash course again, <laughs> crash course. So this was this. So I hope, I really hope that that what we've been talking about inspires experiments and practice in the domain of attention and conservation of energy and those kinds of things. Any comments, questions, sharing? When when you were asking me, Clinton, about what do you do with the sensations, I didn't I didn't think I didn't think about conserving the energy or or the intensity, but I I wonder if that's what was happening when moving from the fear towards towards the fear towards the activity. So, for example, one of the activities that I did uh, in the after the fear club was to move to like grass and bushes that usually my skin gets really rash, like it gets really sensitive and there's a kind of um, resistance to go and be touched by plants. And when I move towards the plants and, and to be brushed by them without the opinions and without the kind of the stories of the fear and just with the moving towards with, with this new groove of, of of unfolding or unfolding the the next part of being alive then i could feel new sensations that didn't activate this kind of rash response from my from my skin so it was like my even my physical body was not in resistance to that and 
and, and, and the sensation of the fear, the sensation of the, of, of the plants, just the, the, the experience of moving towards that had a lot of energy. And then what I was doing was I was being with that energy. I was just um, circulating it or something. And then that would, that would give kind of a, a, the sensation that I had was that it was, I was holding that energy and moving with that energy, but it wasn't dissipating, but it was informing then the next thing, like someone's not saying something. And then I would say, okay, I think someone's not in our group is not saying something important. And then it would move towards that. Is that also conservation of energy? I mean, you know, it is already. The, yeah, okay, it is. Okay. It's, the hint about that is is to not try to intellectualize it. Okay. Because you'll just uh, go back to the old way. It's, a t- it's an attempt of the box to understand it or to package it back in the old okay. condition and go, see, it didn't work really, or whatever. It's a, it's a step in the wrong direction. Like, this universe is magical. It's just completely magic. And our level of understanding, I'm reading this science fiction book called Three Body Problem. I'm not recommending it yet, but it's just simply part of it is discovering how the further we research in physics, the more complex the the structure of, of matter is, for example. The subatomic particles don't fit any pattern that we can figure out. And so it turns out that our Newtonian physics, you know, force equals mass times acceleration and, you know, the Newton stuff is, um, is, is, is wrong. You know, it's a generalization. It's just a, an illusion. It's in, and it is an illusion that we can, we have physics. You know, we've been using the, the illusion well enough that we can talk to each other in a video conversation basically for free all around the world, like we're doing right now on a color screen. And, but, the, but the, but they're saying that in reality, physics does not, the universe does not hang together in a way that we can understand. And if you try to package the world down into understanding, you demagicize the world. There's another story by Neil Stevenson. What was that one about? 18- this is phys- magic and technology and physics being an illusion well you have to be careful (laughs) computers get upset (laughs) i'm saying that uh there's a story uh, written by neil too much too much energy too much energy it's computers glitching was uh neil stevenson was saying how magic ended in 1851 when they made the first photograph and they made the first picture, a photograph of something, because all of a sudden you could capture an image or capture the moving world into a rigid thing, and it just killed magic. Because ma- magic is not determinable. Magic is indeterminate. And actually, the universe is indeterminate. You cannot actually put your finger on what's really going on. So if you try to package phenomena into an intellectual environment, you, you kill it in a way. And it will, and things will react or things will break apart. Like you won't get the magic anymore. And so for us, you know, the ordinary world works for us pretty good. 
So it's time for magic. And but if but that'll freak your bots out. But there's so much magic accessible available for us on a daily basis. So it isn't like, oh yeah, I had a conversation last week that was really cool. No, I'm having a conversation that's really cool right now and right now and right now. It's not once in a week thing. You don't you don't have to tell stories about the past because it's happening right now. And so the hint is to not try to package it or put it down into a comprehensive explanation to yourself because then you'll just strangle the magic out of what's happening. And and the way Werner Earhart would say it, he goes what what's so what is so like what so is so what so so what yeah so what so it's not about trying to figure it out it's going yeah okay yeah this is this is it's magic it goes like this so what this is weird yeah i just i just knew what aunt chloe was going to say before she said it so what you know it's like okay yes it goes like that but if I try to analyze it and crimp it down, I'll just strength, you know, and I'll just. So that's the hint. Thank you. Vera, I celebrate the new experience your skin had with plants. It sounds amazing. <laughs> May there be many more. <laughs> May the, Thank you. may the plants love you even more. <laughs> love you and feed you. Because you were saying you were passing the energy on to other people then. Yeah. Yeah, you can just carry a plant around and go, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? Why don't you tell me this? You know? <laughs> Very... <laughs> and in Bali here, we walk around and there's people praying to stone carvings and you can see them there's hundreds of there's i think 10% we figured 10% of the population is ongoingly employed in blessing the spirits ongoingly and when you bless the spirits if the spirits hear you it's a reciprocal thing they bless you so there's this huge exchange of blessing between human beings consciously blessing you know, sending attention, prayers, blessings to the spirits world all over Bali all the time. And it, and any time of day or night, you can drive around and see people. Like we have our little doorway out here. We came here, we were gone, we came back. And we have flowers all over this place. There's like... Um, French pennies. And, and on our front steps, there's incense burning and this this offering with rice and uh, uh, cigarette, you know, and candy and crackers, and it's just um, to offering to the spirits that are around our house, around like the place. This it's like everywhere. These are wow. handmade. Oh. handmade from people. People spend their like their mornings. You go through the market, then they're just everybody's weaving baskets all the time. Yeah. And they ongoingly, there's the, and they just are all compostable. They just decompose all over the place. And it, and it, so this this piles and piles, like outside, outside the corner of our house, with his umbrellas over these statues, and there's 
all these blessings, the offerings and all this stuff going on all the, every morning, every afternoon, every night, <clears throat> three times a day. It's happening all around this place. And so what are they doing? Like, what, how am I supposed to understand? Uh, you know, I'm sure that some of them get paid, you know, some pittance, a little amount of money to go do this for, for somebody. But it's like, okay, what's your profession? Well, I, I bless the spirits. This is my, I go around and call blessings down from the spirit world and give blessings up to the spirit world. I'm a transformer between the domains, the upper world and the underworld. I'm the transformer between these worlds. You know, okay, that's, okay, what is, why, let's see. The, the world is so much like that, and it's so much ignored in most cultures, most modern cultures, completely uh, try to ignore that, try to mechanize <clears throat> our life, package our food in plastic, and and uh, just pass it over. But you know what? It can't be passed over. <laughs> uh I was I was just thinking about this the spark of the the reason is not the cause and yeah I mean maybe these women get paid something to do this but that's not the cause no because they could be getting paid to do other things but it's that's... so amazing because yesterday or whatever we we're driving by down the road and the fiftieth woman that we saw doing blessings out there it's like there's this pattern and you can see that these women have this ability to focus their attention. Like they're holding space for this thing to happen between the spirit world and their and the blessings. And they're holding, there's nothing that can disturb that. And they, they live in a different world. They actually live in a different world than I do. And so that I see them and I can't really connect with them because they're in a different world. Sometimes I'm walking down the street and I see one moving from one blessing place to another and they have their baskets full of all this stuff. I go, hello, and they just, and the way they say hello is from a different world. It's not, and it's it's just amazing how much is possible when we have, give our, take our energy back, conserve our energy and start using it for other things. Because other things out there are waiting for us. They're waiting for us to show up and play. And Would you, would you mention, I mean, in our kiaki, we don't, we don't bow down to spirits so much okay again so what you know speak about what, 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 you know what, well it's sort of when i was thinking about it is uh, is you know to i mean I, okay one of the ways is if you to be a space for which these forces can have a voice in the world and I think this is one of the ways that possibilitators are transformers between whatever this, I mean, I wouldn't call it a spirit world, but a archetypal world and the, and the middle world or whatever the human, the human domain, human domain. And so, I mean, I was just afraid that the women's bridge house is going to start having free, di- free, free offerings a day, weaving baskets. <laughs> And I'm just proposing that this other, I think there's other ways, there's other ways to be transformers than to be, um, you know, offering, offering basket weavers. 
So there's this idea of in a, in traditional Eastern spiritual paths that the practitioner is often instructed to sort of face the deities, face the the light, like look at the light like that. And so imagine being the light. You know, here you are, the source of light, and and you have these this world that needs the light, and the people who can transform, you know, can deliver, transmit the light, they turn around and they're looking back at you. You know, and here you're going, no, 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 don't look at me. You know, I don't want you to look at me. I want you to let me go through you so that you can, where you look, it comes out on the other side. And so rather than looking, you know, sort of bowing down towards the source of the, of, of you know, the bright principles, instead of looking at them, it blocks them. But if you look the other way, they come through you and then they can do their work in the world. But then then you're you're facing away from the light. It's like facing away from the light is against the Eastern spiritual traditions is to like put your back towards the light. You know, people, there would be temples and and everybody you, you you have to bow down in a certain direction in the temple, a certain direction, there's a certain north, south, east, west direction. You're supposed to bow down in the temple. And if you do not bow down in that direction, then you're punished, really. And so, like, there's a story about this guy, Nasruddin, whatever, goes into the temple and he bows down with his ass towards the front of the temple. You know, his feet, the bottom of his feet are facing the front of the temple. And the, the dude, whatever, the priest comes over, he starts beating him with a stick, you know, and everybody's going, yeah, you're wrong, you know, you're bad, you're doing things bad, you know, and, and Azardin says, I will repent, I will repent if you can show me God, which direction God is. It's like, okay, so it's like there, he, was, he was indicating that it's a, a fallacious whatever, to try to orient yourself that way. So, so, somebody tried to talk. Me. Uh, it was me. Uh, uh, okay. Anything else from anybody else right now? Yes. I, I want to add when, and Chloe, when you said, I'm worried that the women in the bridge house would be, making offerings three times a day. But I was like, what about Rage Day? What about, you know, all these different kinds three of, you know, offerings yes. that yes. make yes. it. So, and then Clinton kind of like described it in another way of what was going on in me of like, though this is the, just, this is how we offer. This is, this is the, our, the, our kind of offering. Yeah. This is what I'm, I'm meant to say. Thank you, Jacqueline. <laughs> <laughs> Saying it clearly. Thank you. <laughs> Ingrid, nice to see you. Philip, thanks for coming by. Oh, did I say it already? No. Next week. We're not meeting next week. We're meeting in two weeks. Oh, yeah, I said it already. Next week. We're not meeting next week. We're meeting in two weeks. Oh, yeah, I said it already. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) You're Jeff. Okay, bye. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank you. you. Happy travels. Thank Thank you. you.